0: Hello, this is Sean Harwell. You were listening to the Never Heard of It podcast,
1: and I'm Craig Moorhead. And this is the podcast where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks.
0: And we're joined today by a very special guest by the name of Bob Hardison. Bob is a writer slash actor slash filmmaker slash 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 slash. You may know him from the indie comedy from was it 2014? Thank you. Called Angry White Man, directed by Brian O'Connell, stars. Bob, in the lead role, the title role, along with him, he's got some very funny people by the names of Matt Berry. we got Steve Agee in there. Scoot McNary. I think that was one of the early things that I saw Scoot in. Right. Who else have we got in there? Uh,
2: Mary Birdsong. Yes, great Mary Birdsong. Genevieve Jones. And I'd like to give a shout out to my friend Matt Warzel.
0: And now where can people go see Angry White Man if they want to stop this right now and go watch that movie?
2: You can get it on Amazon. You can order a DVD off of Amazon or Netflix, Hulu. We're in several places. I don't think we're doing Netflix mm-hmm. instant. But uh, last I checked, even Walmart.com. Really? Some of those places. Yeah. You're in Wally World. That's awesome. I am. Seeing yes. those
0: sweet Wally World residuals.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Craig, how are you doing today?
1: Man, I am doing so good. Uh it's kind of a lie, oh, but good. I'm doing fine. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Uh, okay, um, that's good. I'm excited to talk about this movie and, and to talk with Bob about stuff.
0: Yeah, we know Bob for a while now. He went to our film school, uh, North Carolina School of the Arts as well. We've talked to some other people from there. And, you know, sort of what we do when we have a guest, we kind of would like to just sort of get a picture of you, Bob. Okay. As a film fan. Because okay. I think, you know, to get to the point where you are, certainly you either had to have the acting bug the filmmaking book, or maybe in your right. case, both, or the writing right. book. Is there a movie, a moment from your youth that so, you sort of knew, okay, wait a second. A, this is a job that people do. This is a career. And if specifically there's a movie that was like, oh, that's the that's thing. Like, that's, that's what I want to do. Is there, is there a moment where that happened for you?
2: Possibly. <laughs>
0: it's all a haze, right?
2: Uh, the first movie I went to see was Superman. Nice. I was three years old. Mm-hmm. My mom always would tell the story about how I, I guess, announced to the old theater that my brother was eating on my popcorn <laughs> during the movie. But I, I guess I was three. It was just something that kind of stuck with me. When other kids were still playing with GoBots and Transformers, I guess I was like in third grade. And yeah. I asked for a VCR for Christmas. Nice. Nice. So, and that was like back in the day where Every movie was in at the video store. So you would just go in and get whatever you wanted. But when I, was, when I was growing up, my dad was the headmaster of the school I went to. Cool. And that was kindergarten through 12th grade. Small school, about 300 kids total. And there was this kid that we used to give a ride to school and from school. His name was Arthur. And when Arthur got his license, he uh-huh. drove us because my dad would have to stay after school. Right. For teachers meetings, things like that. But when Arthur got his driver's license, he would drive us back to his house and my dad would pick me up on the way home or my mom would come and pick my brother and I up from his house. And Arthur was a huge heavy metal fan.
0: I like him already. Mm -hmm.
2: And he was a huge horror fan
0: bonus points
2: okay and i don't even know if i'm making this up in my head
0: (laughs) we'll get arthur on the phone to confirm yeah Uh,
2: i don't know if i'm making this up in my head but i remember it because i I think friday the 13th part 5 came out in 1985 so that would have made me 10 he had like the fucking book for final chapter i mean they had (laughs) like a friday the 13th book.
0: Was it like a uh, like a
2: novel, like a little novel based on the movie? Wow, okay. And you would flip through it, and you would see, you, and they would have pictures in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just flip through it, and it's like, oh, here's a bitch with a pitchfork through her neck. You yes. know, I'm eight years old, nine years old. Anyway, so Arthur, so we we go to his house, and he had made. I remember he was so excited that part five was coming out. He was like okay. the only person. Yeah, I remember being in his room and he had made a deck to deck copy of every murder from the first four Friday the wow, 13th wow. films and we watched it yeah and i remember there was the 3d one there was a cro- he jason shot some chick with a crossbow <laughs> through her yeah. eye socket there was a there was a kid that was like a gymnast that was walking around on his hands. And Jason cut him in half. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Anyway, a ton of that stuff. So I I think that was sort of my allure when I sort of got into watching horror and some of these other darker films. I knew I wasn't supposed to be watching that yeah, stuff. Yeah, that was a big deal And I think that's like the element... That I still enjoy. I feel like I'm looking at something that I'm not supposed to be looking at. So, well, that
0: that explains why you went and saw the, the Brian De Palma documentary with me. Yes, because <laughs> that's his. Territory we did. For we sure. saw the De Palma documentary yeah. together.
2: And not to get too off track here, but I thought the most interesting thing he brought up sort of how indifferent he was after going through <laughs> the the whole process for the last thirty years or whatever, making films in mm. the studio system. That realizing, though, that the politics and everything else, all of the moving parts that you cannot control, that it's inevitable that you're going to make some bad movies. Yeah. And he just acted like, you know, that wasn't, this was a bad movie, but stuff like that happens. I mean, sometimes the stars line up and sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, because I think as an independent filmmaker, sometimes you have certain expectations and I think you have to have some realistic yeah. expectations and i just thought that was sort of interesting for him to he even said i think if you if you work as a filmmaker if you get three great endings yeah for your whole career then that's fucking great
0: well let's talk about that then that's that's an interesting segue perhaps to go from your love of horror and thrillers to film school and then coming out and making an independent comedy. I mean, can you talk about like the genesis of Angry White Man? Did you sit down with that idea to write it for yourself to perform in, And B, were you writing it as something that would be made by you in some capacity as like an independent film?
2: Actually, when I came out of film school, moved out to LA, I was working with uh, Rich Robinson who also went to film school for a while. We actually... Did a independent thriller horror film called Marcus. I think we shot we shot that in at the end of two thousand five. Scoop was in that. Uh, Jade Dornfeld, Samantha Shelton, Ross Rodriguez, who was one of our friends, and uh, Mark Rose. I, it's been a while. Frankie Ingracia, who was in Election.
0: And what was the budget like? What kind of scope of movies that is Marcus?
2: We. We shot it for about 25000 oh. And then I think we finished it for maybe twice that. We were approached by Polychrome Pictures who was a subsidiary. <laughs> maybe you guys can edit my. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, subsidiary, subsidiary. subsidiary of Warner Brothers mm-hmm. on video. So we went with them. It was a nightmare in terms <laughs> of trying to get, uh, we were offered some money up front. They didn't want to pay us. We took them to court or threatened to take them to court. But Jeez. what are you going to do? You're going yeah. you to sue more a brother. So by the time every the lawyers got paid, you know, we paychecks or whatever I sent out from that were really small. So you did know, they we,
0: actually distribute the film or no? They did, Okay, yes. they so didn't on DVD. pay you.
2: Yeah, they didn't want to pay us. Oh, and, then, and then I think Polychrome went belly up. Yeah, which uh, happens, yeah. Which happens as well. So it was difficult. And the reason I'm talking about this is to try to get – the mindsets angry, of
0: Angry White Man.
2: Two Angry White man. I think after Marcus, you know, we played a few festivals. We actually won a couple festivals. Nice. I even remember, I think we won like a thousand bucks from somewhere. place in Mississippi, maybe Tupelo or somewhere. It was really odd. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Tupelo's handing out the cash, man. Yeah. That's good. And, uh, good to know.
2: So anyway, I always know, uh, horror is very sellable. So... I kind of went that route with the first thing we wanted to do, and then the next thing we were trying to do was a, another horror, and it just never quite got any traction. So, I was down in Wilmington, of course, uh, Brian Mandel, who shot you know, Foot Fist way, mm-hmm. and kind of seeing what those guys had been able to do with Foot Fist, I thought maybe I would try to do a comedy.
0: Had you written a comedy before?
2: I had written some stuff, you know. I got jokes. I'm writing a piece right now. Like one of the central themes is pedophilia. Craig, you still with Always us? Always fun.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, ju- I just perked up and just not. now. Pedophilia. Keep going. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I think when you're working with some of this stuff, sometimes you just feel like you want to, la- you need a laugh. Yeah. You know, and actually, from shooting the film and working on the film, I don't know if there's more fun genre to be a part of in terms of a crew Mm -hmm. I seriously doubt there's people out there that didn't have anything short of a blast on that film regardless of what happened with it post production I wrote it originally I was going to direct it Right. we started stacking our cast we were able to go out, I was able to get scoop, I had recently been moved out of my apartment didn't have a place to live, so I was crashing with Mandel. And we were watching the IT crowd, mm-hmm. and we saw Matt Barry in that, and he was yeah, incredible. A... So Maelstrom. we decided to try to cast him as the the villain. He loved the script, wanted to do it. He put us in touch with Steve Agee, okay. and then Steve Agee was friends with Mary Birdsong. Right. And I was friends with Scoot, and I sent Scoot, but we didn't have anybody really pegged for the lead at the time and some of them thought scoot included that i would make a good skeeter and i think we just decided that that was the way we were going to go so i called up o'connell and i knew his background with improv comedy and anyway that's kind of the way we went and i think it turned out well i think it's difficult for comedies so so It's, it's really difficult yeah so, I mean, I think we were a little disappointed in the amount of play that we were able to get, mm-hmm. but we've been able to do okay in the, in the DVD market. It's great. So, been a big part of two films, but I've gone from idea to script to screen to distribution, and that's sort of a crash course that you can't yeah. replicate. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things, and it was weird, I was listening to you guys' podcast with Damien. Who's a good friend of mine as well, but he was talking about expectations mm-hmm. for yourself as as an independent filmmaker or whatever an independent film, you know, and you have to be able to give yourself that that hey, you know, I've been a big part of two films that we finished, yeah, and we got distribution for, so you have to allow yourself some degree of success for for that, for although sure. it's hasn't put me where I want to be at the same <laughs> right. time, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: I think that's important too because I think there's maybe a concept, you know, this perception that a lot of independent films do put people where they want to be, and I would say the the numbers are, are against that idea. Sure. You yeah. know, it's, it's the really very few that actually break out of that, and so yeah, I, I think you know the sense of accomplishment to take away from it is is just going through that experience of learning and finding the value in that. I'm curious if had you acted prior to that
2: no i had not
0: <laughs> so what was that like you know that was, was it terrifying
2: wild. i'd actually I think i had two lines in all the real girls for david okay right film. and I had two lines that i got my ass beat yeah <laughs> so that was the extent of the acting mm-hmm. that i did i do remember that day on set it was really funny it was fun yeah course i was P- I was like a pa driver sure i, I wrecked that 15 passenger event i told them <laughs> i said hey you? i can't drive this big son of a bitch i'm gonna have an accident <laughs> i had at least three fender benders oh no one of them like was right in front of the production office <laughs> oh, i i hit i think it was maybe a honda it, you know when i was backing up i was like oh shit i just hit that Honda. and i i went inside <laughs> to get something or whatever and chris balkham right I was working in the production office. And I thought it was kind of funny that I hit this car. <laughs> and I wanted to tell somebody about it. To share the, the sure. humor. And I said, hey, balk you know, I just backed in and knocked the shit out of that Honda out there. And he was like, Bob, that's my fucking <laughs> car. <laughs> anyway. Lesson uh,
0: learned. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I just remember going to set though. And it was such a sort of strange thing to first experience acting. And especially, obviously, Angry White Man was a smaller shoot than all the real girls yeah. was. But it was just really odd. I had one line or two lines and everybody's running around, there's a lot of noise, and people are yeah. getting ready and then all of a and sudden everybody's just looking gets at you. Fucking quiet as hell and somebody sticks the, the sticks in front of you and and here we go. But it was definitely because I in Angry White Man I think it was maybe maybe two scenes or something that I wasn't yeah in. But it was, a again, it was just an invaluable experience because now I know what those people, they go through. Right. But it was a lot of fun. I had a good time. The other people that I was acting with were really good. And they knew that I hadn't acted. I'm, I'm sure they, well, I'm sure it didn't take them long to figure it out. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And I think with any, just like with anything, you know, sort of learn what's enough. Was not enough? Was too much? I mean, you think, so if I ever get the opportunity to maybe play another character, I don't think I would like to play another lead. I think that was a little much yeah. you know, for first time out. And especially, I think you, you focus so much on just trying to be believable and natural and try to be the, the thing that grounds each scene. You don't have as much fun as playing maybe a supporting character where you yeah. can...
1: You know, quite let have it, that pressure.
2: Let it swing for the fence a little more. Right. But it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I really did have a blast. And
0: cool. And did any did you have any sort of script changes happening during the shoot? I mean, were you pulling any double duty as a yeah. writer on the set? You know, yeah, that, it was, that happens.
2: I think that's probably the most frustrating thing about being an independent filmmaker is one is you know you can't come back tomorrow. Yeah. And I think there's this balance where you have to try to find where, hey, this is something we have to get, or this is something that we don't need. In the heat of the moment, I think what happens a lot of times is stuff gets cut, and then by the time you get to the editing room, you have sort of the basic pieces and maybe have lost some of the nuance that you had it originally envisioned right and that's just something that everybody has to deal with but i enjoy that part of it too because the, the sort of the problem solving yeah part of it as well and you just try to keep a level head
1: how did brian guide you through that in terms of you know brian's one of the funnier people i know like what is his feedback to you
2: you know i thought o'connell was really good and sort of brutally honest with me when he needed to be mm-hmm. and say hey you know we this joke didn't work or we need a little more or a little less mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, I thought, because he's big sort of on improv and mm-hmm. we improv a, a decent amount on there, but he he was, he was just kind of a vote of confidence that was there mm-hmm. that maybe since it was my first, I mean, you don't need somebody up there kissing your butt, but you do. Yeah. It was nice to like, Yeah. No, but it was nice to have to say, hey, you know, good job. or Right. You know, or you hear Matt Berry's like, great work. Nice. <laughs> that, that definitely will make you feel good.
0: Yeah, and, and Brian uh, has since gone on to direct sort of indie horror comedy, Bloodsucking Bastards, yes. which came out last year. and Yeah, and, yeah, met and some I, for I would sure. like
2: to think that Angry White Man helped him get that job. I hope it did. Well, I'm, I'm sure, sure it, it helped
0: inform his decisions while he was on set. You know, I mean, right. it's all sort of experience building sure. to the next thing. Sure. Well, that's very cool. Today's movie and I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and be the target for this because I picked it. I thought it might be interesting when we were talking about what to watch this week. Mm-hmm. I thought, well hey Bob's a writer and he he acted in this movie. What other actors have written a movie that they, they've been a part of and it's a pretty small small pool there. It seemed like the the compass was pointing me towards James Franco. And so today we're going to talk about a movie that James Franco directed and adapted called Child of God from 2013. Uh, It is an adaptation of a Cormac McCarthy novel. And I'll just read the synopsis from IMDb. It is, A dispossessed, violent man's life is a disastrous attempt to exist outside the social order. Successively deprived of parents and homes and with few other ties, Ballard descends to the level of a cave dweller as he falls deeper into crime and degradation. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah about right. that's that's a lot. That's about yeah, right. Yeah.
2: I agree. I um, agree.
0: It stars Scott Hayes, Tim Blake Nelson, James Franco has a very small part. This movie is on Netflix, you can check it out. And I would just like to say up front, I did not know that there was a necrophilia element, mm-hmm. so I apologize, gentlemen.
2: Why are you apologizing? <laughs> I told you I like darker stuff. I mean I
0: Well this is pretty <clears> dark then,
2: yeah. Yeah. I was uh, well, there was necrophilia. Yeah. There was a shit in the Shitting. woods.
0: There was a shit, on an on-camera shit like in the woods. An
2: on-camera shit. Like, the, <laughs> the thing about the on-camera shit I was a little disturbed by. It usually, I would hope that they would give some sort of warning. How He's he dropping his yeah. pants and squatting down. It was no. just a hard cut to shit coming out of a man's <laughs> ass. Yeah. And then... He wipes his ass with a stick. Oh. Yeah, not very,
0: not very thoroughly, and then pulls his pants back. Yeah, up and walks I, off.
2: Um, I had never. I, it took me a little, <laughs> by, yeah. by surprise. Like my my fiance had gone to bed <laughs> last night, and I was sitting out there watching I gotta, this. I gotta wake her up. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I woke Party. her up. We rewound it, watched together. No, but it was. Uh, When you talk about the necrophilia, you talk about the the defecating scene along with some of the other scenes, I I think obviously that was part of the point. Mm -hmm. It was to be aggressive. I personally like it when filmmakers aren't afraid to go places, you know, and if I make, fortunate enough to make a lot more movies, which I hope I am, Mm -hmm. if one of the criticisms is, you know, you, you just go too far, you went too far, whatever, like... You can live I can with that. live with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I just think here it's just it's a bit clunky, a little more abrasive maybe than Franco had intended.
0: Right, Craig. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, and I think we should talk about this, and not necessarily shy away from it. Is Bob a good guest? Is Bob a good guest?
1: <laughs> well, I've been thinking about that. How's he doing for so far? the last half an hour? And I think, no, I'm sorry.
0: No, I think you and I both. And maybe, Bob, to a degree, when I realized, hey, wait a second, this movie's on Netflix, James Franco made this, you know, maybe there was some trepidation about <laughs> watching it.
1: Let's examine that, yeah. I like James Franco. Uh, I've liked him for a while. There's stuff that he's done that I don't like, but it's not stuff that makes me dislike him. Right. He's well known for going to thousands of universities <laughs> and teaching at all of them simultaneously. Publishing I believe poetry and books and and making films he, he's doing a lot of things mm-hmm. he's spinning a lot of plates i mean so so what was the trepidation about watching this i I think for me it was am I just in for like an hour and a half of nonsense like is it just like i'm gonna I'm gonna blow my art wad all over Netflix for you and it's like like i'm gonna be staring at clouds and trees the whole time like i'm like I'm, I'm just not I can't do that so in that sense, I was very much. Pleasantly surprised by a child of God okay I mean uh, and I mean it, you know it's a Cormac McCarthy story and I don't know how much is owed to Cormac that that, that, that it that it worked as well as it did for me all, it was it was definitely an unpleasant thing to watch in general, mm. mm-hmm. but at the same time, much like Bob is saying just as far as like not being afraid to go all the way here's this intimate portrait I mean you are just like with this guy the entire time. Who uh, is lacking in so many things? Toilet paper, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, it's it's a very it's a very intimate movie. You're with this guy who is who is off his rocker. He's had a, a horrible life. Who knows what else is going on with this guy? He's trying to uh, figure out how to survive in the woods. S- somehow, nothing ever felt so overplayed to me that it that it sort of took me out of that. As shocking as some of it is, it all sort of made sense. And as a story, as a character study, I, I kind of was like, that was pretty good.
0: I, I would agree with that. And I, I think, you know, for me, the only thing that kind of took me out was just things like, you know, the music occasionally or the tone yes. of the voiceover or just some of the camera work a little bit at times.
2: Like, I hate banjo, yeah. bluegrass music in southern films. Me too. Thank you for I saying that. I hate it. Yeah. I remember watching the Hatfields and the McCoys.
0: Kevin Costner thing? Yes. I didn't see and that. It early was, I really
2: You know, because it's always, oh, we're in the South now. Yeah. yeah and just, right. And it
0: just gets so old. I, I had a problem with that as well. And like, for me, it was the main thing was, I totally did that in one of my student films. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it was mainly because like that, one of the actors, he played the banjo and he had a bluegrass band. So like, like oh, thank you, you. Yes. Right. Please. But, it did not for me. It was such an you know you go watch Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Yeah. There is that there is Americana music and Southern music that tonally fits. Yes, those scenes in this you know you're it basically just feels like a cliche. Yeah, you're opening with a guy who's crazy in a barn coming out with a rifle to get these people away from this property as they're trying to auction it, and like he's threatened to kill them, and like I believe that he might actually do that. Right. And behind that, you've got sort of upbeat banjo. Bluegrass music, and what was interesting was I only noticed it in. you know, I think the movie is divided into three sections. I only noticed it in that first section, and yeah. then later on, there's got,
2: uh, yeah. I think they got rid of it. And yeah, and there's good, there's well, like
0: really good contemplative music later on. Yeah, but no I, doubt. for some reason, yeah, I that bothered although, me right up front. Go ahead, Craig.
1: Although I will say, and I, and I don't think it was banjo. So, so maybe maybe it, it still goes with what you're saying. But one of uh, one of the more still. striking parts to me was. When he was making love to the first corpse. <laughs>
0: yes. That was pretty striking. Uh, th- there
1: was a very tender, acoustic yes. song playing under it. A very romantic, like, isn't this nice? And you're just like, Jesus. Like, I mean, it's it's this entire thing where he's on a date with this girl and pretending that she's coming on to him, and it's just this tender, beautiful music behind it. It's just like, uh, we're in his head, you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're, yeah. we're in his head, and, and you're in this room, and you can't leave. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, that music cue didn't bother me. And, like, personally, I kind of like this. I'm, I'm with you, Craig, a little bit. Like, I, as fucked up as it all sounds, I kind of liked the story. Right. On a basic level. Mm-hmm. I just think in some areas, I would have liked to have seen a little more restraint. I think with the, the necrophilia sort of scene where he found these bodies, which could have used some of that. He's maybe ambiguity. he's gonna do this, but not. It's not gonna be as brutal. It's not gonna be what we think it's gonna be. Um, <laughs> right. Also, too, because I wanted to research this so you guys wouldn't be afraid to ask me to come back since I do live right <laughs> around the corner. Draced I looked on IMDb. You know, he comes up on this car where these two dead people. Engine it, is the car, running. The engine was running. Yeah. So I kind of made the leap that carbon monoxide was what I right. originally thought. Yeah. Apparently in the book, these people had backed into somewhere and it was a really snowy area and the snow had covered up the tailpipe. Uh, right.
1: So, And I thought that point. was a
2: very, sort of a, a pretty big loose end. Yes. That probably didn't need to be, I mean, it was like, okay, well, did these people died did somebody else murder them and put them mm-hmm. here but I just like I said I think the it was just the abrasive sort of nature of it I mean he left what? How many times does he walk away from that fucking car? Yeah, yeah. many times. He comes so back. Like, oh, yeah. shit. I forgot. There's a dead woman back there. I right. can take her panties yeah. off and smell them. And then he walks away again. And he forgot the quail then, that he shot that was on top right, of the car. Right. So he goes and then back he and Hey, oh, I can go have sex with this woman. Right. With this dead woman. Like I guess maybe just a touch more of a touch less batshit crazy and a touch more of like innocence in that sort of thing. I, but I mean, well,
0: that's a question actually I wanted to ask you guys is when you have a protagonist who is very obviously mentally afflicted, right? right. Um, and all we're sort of given is that his father killed himself and after that point he sort of disintegrated into the state that he is in now which is basically living in a in a barn and like a lean-to of sorts and stealing and eating when he can and that kind of thing I'm kind of with you in the sense that like there were moments where I'm like I don't know you know like some of the just the basic like machinations of human behavior are missing here. Right. And yet you sort of have a card to, to get away with that if you have right. a protagonist who is crazy. And so
2: So how do you make that palatable for
0: right. Me? And so I, I agree. wondered, yeah, I if, don't know. if you guys struggled with that a little bit or, or what do you think I like I was trying to think of is there a, an example of another movie that's that has a character like that in a in a similarly prominent role that does it completely differently. I mean, the only thing I can kind of come up with is Sling Blade a little bit.
2: Right? Did you ever mm. see the the Woodsman with like Kevin Bacon? No, huh? He plays. I don't know why I keep bringing up pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I keep talking. Well, uh, oh shit! Um, You're already here. You might know, as well. I know, right? I can't go back to jail. Um, <laughs> no, he plays a, a pedophile mm-hmm. in that. To see him try to control himself is excruciating, yeah. and you feel awful, but you feel bad for him. And I think, again, I don't know, because the material is the material. I mean, I think he took that story from Cormac and made it into a script. I mean, I would be very surprised.
0: To the point where there's text on the screen, and then there's there's a bit of just straight narration. I mean, it's not even voiceover, really, because it's from a... You know, an unknown yeah. party. so
2: how do... I mean, it's easy to say, hey, I, I would like this to have been a little more palatable, but, I mean, what, what exactly... Like you said, what does that entail? I mean, does that mean that you don't show certain things? Did you guys
0: ever sympathize for Lester Ballard?
1: You know, I did. Well, see... What about oh, okay. you, Craig? See, I did, and, and that's... I had moments that's kind of what. yeah. And, and, and when, we're, when we're talking about other movies, it kind of reminds me how I felt uh, during the movie Happiness. Okay, where which like, was
2: like, a real hoot too. Yeah, you were, yeah. There for, you were there. for that screen. Were you? In oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: that was amazing. <laughs> wow. I remember just curling into a, the fetal position at the end. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. But and ejaculating. But but, it, but it's it's yeah of course, uh, but um but it's it's similar in that you know, again you have a pedophile in that movie who you're you're <laughs> watching know. them struggle. I know. I know. With this pedophilia. And and you, you can't help but, but on some level, understand the struggle part, even though you don't understand the pedophilia part. But, again, with Lester, like the, the where I came in to sympathize with him, oddly enough, was during his time with the corpse, the first one. The one who really loved him.
0: The girl he dragged <laughs> from the car, correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah.
1: Because all I could think was, okay, here's a guy whose life has just been beyond shit. To, to a point, it's, it's hard to even fathom what his life has been. His mom left. His dad killed himself, and he just sat there and, and saw his dad hanging, I guess, in a barn. And before that, he was being abused, and now he's got nobody. Everybody wants him to stay away from him. He's not that, you know, bright. Obviously, he doesn't have a shot with with a with a, a normal human relationship. He's living in the fucking woods, shitting on sticks, and it's just like like there's that part of me. It's just like fuck. Like this is as happy as he's gonna get. It's just like, God damn, like I couldn't help but feel sad and then then awful. And then one of my notes here was, thank God that house is burning down and she's inside it. Because I thought that was the end of our necrophilia. Of course, I was wrong.
0: Yeah, when the barn goes up in flames and the girl's body is inside, his pain is real. Like, especially the way Scott Hayes... Plays that I was like Jesus, yeah, he's he's really suffering a loss here. But the important distinction I think is that he didn't kill that girl, and like he, Jesus Christ, we're just—I <laughs>
1: know—I'm splitting degrees. It's okay, okay. If, you, Necrophilia. if you're not
2: the one that kills her, it's okay to fuck. Well,
0: that's—I—I I, I do wonder if that played <laughs> into that feeling a little bit because later, then yeah, he there's like three instances in this movie basically where he comes upon cars where people are having sex. Basically, right. you know, it's it's almost like he's a peeping tom as a pastime.
2: It's a, yeah, the, fir- the first time he does it, he just jerks off? Yes. Okay, and but that wasn't the same car with the no, same people? No, those yeah, weren't the, the same people.
0: people, yeah, I, at least to my knowledge. No, I, I didn't think it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, but the third time, he kills both the, the man and the, and the woman, and then he, he does have sex with that woman too, right? right? <laughs> I assume so. I, I blocked Did it from he, memory or not. Oh, the
2: one he... Shot or he just scalped, out. Her. Yeah. Oh, he scalped,
0: scalped her. Yeah, scalped her.
2: Right, but we didn't see him have sex.
0: with But yeah, but but I think my my bigger point I was trying to get at <laughs> was like there's a transition from that sort of sense of just pure isolation, loneliness, a terrible, terrible life to a guy then committing murder and scalping a woman, dressing up in the woman's clothes, putting that scalp on his head. And going out to shoot the man that's trying to auction off the property, where it, you know it kind of felt like Psycho a little bit, like when it turned into that. Sure. And I'm guessing, Craig, you lost your sympathy for that guy in that last half, or no? I mean, I, the movie ends in a really interesting place after he's been, you know, arrested and chased. He's basically supposed to be leading them to the bodies in a cave, and he flees away from you know from these men. And, you know, it ends with him breaking through the ground again and coming up on the land and basically escaping to freedom. Yeah. And so by that point, I just was like, Jesus Christ, Lester the Molester wins, you know, which my sympathy was gone for him, which is an interesting transition to the last half of a movie. Because usually you're taking that bad seed and most movies, by the end of it, want you to like him and root for him. Here, it seemed like it flipped that.
1: I I think it did and I do feel that same way. I mean, there's no way by the end that I can actually want him to get away with it. In fact, I when when I thought it was going to be sort of the mob justice thing, I was like, "Oh, well, that's nice." Like at least you, you know, like like these guys seem like, "Okay, well, we're going to kill you, but we're going to do it quick or something." You know, like I, I kind of felt like that was the the vibe for a second. Right. And I was like, "Well, at least that. That's that's fine." But but no, I, I you know, I I definitely don't have that much sympathy. I, I certainly don't want him to kill the guy who owns the land. Like, the, the thing about Lester is, you know, he, he's he's human on that level. When you see him privately, where you're like, oh yeah, like I can kind of understand, you know, what this guy's going through. But he's also obnoxious as shit. Yeah. Any time, like, anytime, that, like you would not want to deal with that guy for one minute of your day.
0: Did you guys have a town loon where you grew up?
2: You know, I don't know if we did. We did. Huh. You guys, I know oh, there was man. one like in the town uh, next over. I think his name was Bonner, and Bonner. like rode a bike with one of the big flags on the back. You know, <laughs> we had uh, a
0: yeah. Willard Willard Blevins. Uh, may he rest in peace. I suppose also a pedophile he, he I is believe. immortal. Yeah. But he would stand at basically the main intersection in town dressed up as Batman or Freddie Krueger, he did Superman oh, every crazy. now, would wear wigs, would he had a huge iguana that he would That's take with cool. him. Yeah, just he would that, dress
2: up as Superman with a fucking iguana standing. Yeah, I mean, amazing. it is kind
0: of amazing and until you, think, you found out. Are that,
2: you sure he's a loon? I mean, he might. That sounds yeah, funny. he had some okay.
0: some problems for sure. And uh, see, I've and got sympathy for him. So well, he did go to jail for pedophilia, I believe okay. or, or kitty porn. Yeah, yeah so, so we can't get away from this. I thought of that watching this movie because there are moments where I mean, yeah, you're telling like he is annoying, like he's a nuisance. And that's established from the very first scene. I just kept wondering, would not everybody know who he is? Like he seems to surprise me. Yeah. Like even in the those the couples in the car, the two times well, yeah, the wouldn't two times was? wouldn't they know who he was I and sense the danger? Well. And then he goes to the there's a store where he buys the underwear and the clothes, yeah, well, the well, I mean, is it
2: cool that you just walk into a store with a fucking rifle? Like, in yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that like, girl
0: was, like, charmed by it. I know, him. I know. She's like, no, that, she would have just, heard of him.
2: Uh,
1: well, but what is that, like, 50s Tennessee? Like, maybe. N- maybe. Well, I think it's, the book
0: is set in the 60s, and that's another issue I had. Oh, okay. I couldn't quite make out. the. Yeah, the I mean, I originally thought this was, like, the 20s or something. Right. Yeah, And uh, yeah. then, like, they're using, you know, different kind of phones, and I, I don't know. I, you know. I give that kind of a pass just because of, obviously, well, this is low right. budget. And like well, well right as,
2: as far as sympathy for me, I mean, I I certainly had it in the very beginning when this whole sort of you're selling by land, and then I think, you know, you just expected when he went up to this car and there was these dead people <laughs> in the back... That he was gonna get something pinned on him that he didn't fucking. Miss. Yes,
1: that's exactly what I was thinking. You know? Yeah,
2: and sometimes you come to a crossroad, you're like, okay, well, the audience is gonna expect me to do this, right? So I want to do something different. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's right, but sometimes just because it's different doesn't mean that it's better than what you, what the audience would have right. thought you would have done. Right? You know, I thought he was gonna get in there and kind of be like, holy shit. These people are dead. Of course, he felt up the woman.
0: Right, he and I
2: thought I thought that would have been enough. I was yeah. like, you know, he, he's like, okay, I give him that. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's groping this dead woman's tit and nipple. Yeah. Okay, and you know, I, I'll give him that. <laughs> I'm willing to give him that because then that would put his fingerprints. Things like that, and I'm just like, okay, this is how he's gonna sort of get screwed up,
0: right? It's in line with what we've seen of him prior, right? To, too,
1: but and then when he goes he beyond that,
2: goes to the next level, and see, I think if you would have done just done that, if he hadn't had sex with that woman in the car, if he would have just taken her back with him, I would have still been with him. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I think in some ways, I feel like the end could have been the fact that. His house burning down with the woman he loved in his house Mm -hmm. could have been something, a different vibe. I kind of checked out the second murder, but I did enjoy the fact that he got away. I wish more films had the guts to let the The bad bad guy guy get away. away. Sure. And then, not that they have to do it all the time. You get frustrated like some you know, sometimes I mean you know
0: Yeah. And I did kinda like the ending of this movie. I mean there was some sort of
2: uh, Especially in breaking out of a cave. Yeah, like a new, I mean it was new ground it was yeah, pretty
0: cool. It was like the most cinematic thing, you know, it's like coming up yeah. in the cow pasture and with way. Speaking turds of cinematic
2: stuff. stuff, like I I really enjoyed sort of the traveling sequences mm-hmm. when I sort of got a sense of where I was, the Tim Blake Nelson sheriff character. When they were in the car and they're sort of going around the countryside, you have that traveling sort of tracking shot track right. on the road. I, I really thought that was some of the better set pieces, so to speak. I yeah. thought it
0: was just—it was kind of nice too, just to see the South portrayed in winter, uh, right. with all the mm-hmm. leaves off the trees. Like you know, you just don't get that that much, and no, it's so always, many. It's
2: always it's so sweaty. Yeah, oh my God, <laughs> like, I know. It's like, well, and they always
0: shoot in, like, Atlanta or somewhere oh, yeah. or Louisiana where it's flat. It's flats. time to
2: kill, and, like, I'm... Yeah. I'm <laughs> Every Grisham every novel. Just is. Like, yeah. yeah. My I, knees are sweaty.
1: To, to step back one second, just to get back to the fact that he got away at the end, one other thing I was thinking, and I'm not sure really how big a point it is, but, you know, so his mom quit on him. His dad killed himself. And yet this guy, and maybe it's just because he's just a dumb animal at this point. But this guy like, never even considers killing himself. Like, He is absolutely always trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not asking anybody for help. He doesn't beg those guys to let him go. It's interesting that that, that is one thing uh, at the end that's, that you kind of admire about him in a way.
2: That element, I think, really works. And I was just telling... Sean, about this before we started that you know there's a movie called The Tribe yes. about a deaf school there's no dialogue no spoken no subtitles.
0: Dialogue, right? sign language
2: Did Not yeah it's sign language but they don't do subtitles so you don't, oh, you don't okay. know what they're saying okay okay so. i thought there was yeah. and that was how i felt after watching that for i mean the places that they, that that director goes is just i mean it's like harmony Careen on steroids, (laughs) you know, and you felt a little of that in this. Yeah, at least mm -hmm. I did. I think there just wasn't maybe enough time to soak in that this isn't this guy's fault.
0: Well, there's so little, yeah, information about him given from any other character. Right. You spend, I mean, ninety percent of this movie is on this character and. From his POV and, and with him at all times. On that note, I don't. Maybe we should talk just a little bit about what did you think of Scott Hayes, the actor in this role. I mean, that's a really pretty difficult. Yeah. R- I don't even know how you wrap your head around this. I read that he went to Sevier County in Tennessee and basically, yeah, said he hung out, slept in shit. caves yeah. and stuff <laughs> for for a while before they shot this. Uh, and I think they actually shot it in West Virginia or something. But anyway. Yeah. I I was pretty impressed by him. I mean, it is hard to be an annoying character for one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's hard to do. I mean, he just he's like he's guttural and he grunts and he makes you know all kinds of strange noises throughout. And then I have got the feeling maybe he was wearing some sort of teeth yeah, prosthetic I think so. of, of sorts, like a tooth extensions, maybe. Yeah, um,
2: I thought he did what well. I thought he did a good job. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and again, it's you can say, oh well, I would have liked. I mean, and the word is always likable.
0: Yeah, I know. I hate you know, that. I, yeah. Well, there's—he's not a likable guy I mean, by any stretch no, of imagination. No,
2: and it's like, oh, well, he needs to be more likable and this and that. And I—I've always, always felt like that likable should be replaced with interesting. Yeah, I agree. I mean, because I, I, there's some characters throughout film history or whatever that you absolutely hate, but you're
0: you love glued, them. yeah,
2: to them watching them. And I just think it was a. I mean, what a monumental task,
0: yeah. For, yeah,
2: for somebody. I mean, I really, I felt like his sort of his best stuff was when I'm assuming they just let him go when he was in the woods walking <laughs> walking around with his rifle, pooping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. when he stuck the stick <laughs> up his ass, like I thought that you was really great. believed it. But uh, yeah, I thought I thought that was some of his best because he. I don't know. He felt a little loose cannon out there, but he didn't feel it felt a little more stilted I think in some scenes with other characters.
0: Yeah, and it was hard, you know, there were times where he speaks with such a mumble and it's clearly intentional that it's it's hard to understand him. I mean, I think yeah. that's the point and I also I felt like there was a part of me that recognized that from society. I mean, even just where we live in Asheville, you walk around downtown enough, you're going to see a guy that's just you're going to run into somebody on the street that's just kind of mumbling incoherently yeah, yeah. and so again that's that's a tough thing to place yeah. that's a tough thing to play and it's a tough thing to place on your main I character I used to
2: do that when I was uh, when I was living in LA if I had to walk somewhere I didn't feel comfortable late at night or whatever or Hollywood talk or whatever just fucking talk to yourself man <laughs> it's the old, that's the old leave Andy you, Kaufman trick that's good leave, people will leave you alone Franco get all of these sort of literary yeah I, I don't know and there was a
0: big uproar because they thought that he there was pieces. like a, a a couple hours where it was announced that he had the rights to um, Blood Meridian which is oh wow know, the masterpiece of Cormac because McCarthy I,
2: yeah I remember reading The Sound of Fury it was in grade school
0: wow. yeah I mean like I think a uh, I don't want to make assumptions but. Franco may have the income to purchase the rights sure, to these things, sure. and mm-hmm. you know, if you're an author and you're looking at this this guy, you know, maybe it's worth a chance. Especially with Child of God, I mean,
1: who, who's going to want to make that? Who else? Who else yeah. is going to make yeah. that? Yeah. And, so,
0: and he so got it made. And I, I think maybe you know, if there's a big takeaway from this movie, it's Jesus Christ, he got this thing made, and yeah. that's
2: amazing. And that yeah, is, is. And, yeah. and and that's been a little bit of a theme for our podcast for sure I I mean you you know you do you have to tip your cat to people that figure out a way to go out there and do it with so many moving pieces and so many pitfalls and so many obstacles and yeah you know to to go out there and just let it rip
0: right and I mean and this is a movie that would not have lasted a second even I think in the sort of mainstream Independent no. sort of market. I mean, it's just, it's not even that. It's not like a Miramax movie. It's not Little Miss Sunshine. You
2: know, it's like, no,
0: it's not. It's way outside the realm yeah, well, of that. The,
2: that was one thing that I did like about it was the fact, even though that I know who James Franco is, this movie felt like an independent film to me. It didn't feel like, like you said, a Little Miss Sunshine Yeah, like movie. a vanity project Look, man, or anything if like you've that. You've got Steve Carell. Tony Collette, Greg Kinnear, and fucking Alan Arkin in your movie. It's not not an independent movie. movie. (laughs) But I I did feel that because I I enjoyed that because it does add a sense of realism to it when you haven't sort of seen I mean, it's just, you know, that great sort of indie grit that you just can't get any other way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's one other movie that Scott Hayes is is in that's, I think, coming out that I wanted to mention. It's another one that, that Franco directed called Zeroville and I don't know if you guys have heard of this but it seems like they started filming in 2014 it's based on the novel by Steve Erickson it's got James Franco, Seth Rogen Jackie Weaver, Megan Fox Will Ferrell, Danny McBride Horatio Sanz from SNL oh, I think wow. was real, is playing yeah, what f-
2: happened to that guy?
0: well he's playing Francis Ford Coppola in this <laughs> and Scott Hayes is playing Charles Manson which I can kind of see yeah, oh, I, I can, can totally, totally see that, see that. Yeah. Totally uh, Dave Franco, James' brother, is playing Montgomery Cliff. So uh, clearly this is a Hollywood movie of sorts. I haven't heard anything else about it, but I, w- I would definitely be interested in checking that out. Uh, specifically yeah. to see Scott Hayes as, J- as uh, Charles Mace- Manson.
2: Honestly, it looks like, I mean, as soon as you said that. Yeah, I, mean, I know. I, like I, the role he was <laughs> born
0: in. <laughs> him and Steve Rills back.
2: I had, read, I had read on there, though, that Franco had seen Hayes do a lot of acting. Yeah, I think they went to school together or some sort. theater scene or uh-huh. something like that.
0: There was one Playhouse troupe, I think, that they were both involved in. Yeah, I think he's been in a couple of, of Franco's movies. We'll kind of wrap this up here. I, I found a review of Child of God from an author named Scott Tafoya, who I think was writing for RogerEbert.com. I just wanted to read this last little thing here. Franco may just be the coolest kid in class trying to encourage everyone to pay attention to the English teacher, but there's something noble in that. The day he figures out what to do with his camera, he's going to graduate to artist, and we may have a properly excellent director on our hands. And, I don't know, I read that, and I was like, that, I I think that's pretty valid. I yeah. think
2: that's really valid, too. I, I think when you look at a lot of these directors, and if you read about them, a lot of them started out doing TV shows, or they got sort of... I guess my point is, is they had opportunities to make stuff Mm -hmm. and to, to, just like with screenwriting, you probably I, I probably have more (laughs) scripts than you do that I just use to learn from that will Uh, never see the light of day. And then you got to think the same thing happens with a director as well, having the opportunity that they learn and get better as they go. And I think unfortunately without sort of the instant looking for the next big thing uh, type of thing that we have going on, I think it's difficult for directors to get multiple chances if they don't hit with their first film. Right. Yep. I think it's more difficult for them.
0: Well, and it's, it's interesting with Franco, too, because... Here's a guy who he does he doesn't have to succeed as a, no, a director he doesn't no. need to he he can go make mainstream movies and and make millions doing that and then I I think that's part of the sort of backlash against the idea that he is making movies I mean it's interesting that a guy would be faulted or criticized for just trying to just trying for to do something different like yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean let's us oh there's Franco again trying to make these little art houses, writing a novel like. You know, it's 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 weird because it's specifically with comedic actors. I mean, I can tell you right now, anytime Seth Rogen or Will Ferrell puts out a movie, you go look at the YouTube comments, oh, I hate this guy. I'm so tired of this
1: shtick. Right.
0: And then here's a guy like Frank, and it's like, oh, this guy. Who does he think he is? Think <laughs> no, no, it is. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, like, you can't win. Yeah,
2: It is. And it's, like I said, I think it's unfortunate because you do. I mean, you tip your hat to the guy because he's out there. I mean, he's putting it out there and like yeah. you know, and making a film is like walking around town naked. I mean you're you're putting it out there, you know, and like, And he's
0: doing it with frequency, which I yeah. you know, that a lot of people just simply can't do that and, and or won't do that. And yeah. you know, I mean maybe the argument is, James, take six years, figure out the story, <laughs> figure out right. exactly what it is, and then you'll make your masterpiece or something. But I, I you know, Woody Allen doesn't do that, no. so I, yeah. I don't know. Final thoughts on this. Would I A, would you recommend it? To a, a person who's sort of predisposed to you know be open to a movie like this,
2: you know I would. Okay. Yeah. I would. I would recommend. Yeah, man. I think so. And I and again I mean we we're talking before we started the, talking about this movie. You know we we're talking about movies that influence you and stuff. I think it's interesting to watch different. I mean you watch a movie like Badlands for the first time, right? Hysteria for the first time. Mm-hmm. uh, just understanding that there's just different sort of points of view and there's different ways to make a film and there's different types of films out there and i think the more and i kind of felt that way when i was watching this film i mean i was maybe not you know as entertained as as uh, some other films but you definitely sort of had that sense of i haven't i haven't really seen this yeah you know for better or for worse you know, I haven't really seen this movie. So that's why I would recommend it. Yeah,
0: and I even to the extent of my only expectation going into this was knowing, you know, the few books from Cormac McCarthy that I've read and the adaptations I've seen, it's rare that he paints a happy picture of the world. No. Yeah. You know?
2: Well, I knew it was good. Yeah. I figured it was going to be I did be too.
0: I, I did not anticipate the protagonist being someone that was that, that the yeah and so I, I think, think that I was you know if you know that going into it maybe there's a whole different sort of experience you have I don't, well, Craig what do you think about this thing
1: I mean ag- again man I, I, I would definitely recommend it to to the right person I can think of a few people I, I, I could recommend this to again I went into the movie thinking I was just going to be looking at dumb open vistas of just blank shit. Like I just thought. God damn, this is going to be boring. Like that's really just the okay. way I was thinking. And yeah. that was not my experience at all. So I was very no. happy about that. You know, obviously it made me very uncomfortable. I had a very visceral reaction to it. And, and the fact that I actually thought some of the necrophilia was sweet makes me very disturbed. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I, yeah, I got to say, I mean, I, I, I have a very, uh, very fond feeling about this movie. It certainly moved me in certain ways. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and
2: that's kind of the point. I mean, were you talking about Cormac McCarthy? I was saying that I like filmmakers that aren't afraid to go there. I mean, he's definitely oh not my God, yeah. afraid yeah. to go there. And look, you'll never forget this guy taking a shit nope. or fucking no. a dead woman in the back no. of the car. Like, so those are images that could yeah. be yeah. burning your head. And I, if, if you're going to miss, at least be Memorable. on one side of the road or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. the sort of safe... Play for me that, that bothers me.
0: Right. Yeah. I, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of what where Franco uh, finds that sort of film that that really clicks with people. and I can't help wonder what it would look like if he did direct a comedy. Um, he definitely seems to have sort of literary pursuits and ambitions. Yeah, and, and that's kind of strange too. That you would think
2: that that would be the logical sort of step for him to jump in and direct. Neighbors, or something. I'm so glad he's not, though. You know, know? I know. Yeah, he's like, you know, hey, no, I want to go out and make make sort of these. And I agree, Craig. I I thought when I saw that it was a Franco film and it was a McCarthy piece, I thought it was going to be a two hour meditation of Mm -hmm. some sort. And it certainly was not. Have
0: Mm -hmm. you seen anything else that he's directed, either of you?
1: No. Did he direct
2: True Story? I No. He, just an actor. No.
0: Yeah, I think he was just was in that, right? Okay.
2: I really want to see As I Lay Dying just to see what Danny. Yeah. <laughs> is. Yeah, absolutely. What he's doing in that movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, any of that Faulkner stuff, I think, you know, I mean, he, he's tackling some some that just novels you that do not
2: it's like. James Franco just wants to go out and like make fucking Faulkner films. Yeah. I mean, that's the hardest incredible. novels you could possibly adapt.
0: I yeah, I know, just incredible. I mean. I'm looking at IMDb right now, and there's 36 credits listed to Franco as a director Holy already. Shit. Oh yeah. And some of these are just announced, but I mean, he's a got lot like of these, 20. Yeah. Yeah. Right. A lot of these are in post production, and you know, I don't know what the the, stat, the real status of those as as viable films <laughs> or, or not. But yeah, I, I kind of I, I don't know. I, I wonder if some of the the backlash against the notion of him adapting Blood Meridian were mostly from people that have never seen any of his movies.
1: I'd bet they, I I would bet that's true.
0: Yeah.
2: I would bet that's true too.
0: Yeah. And I'm not saying I wasn't guilty of like, oh no, he should not well, do that. Well, also but too,
1: though,
2: I think he probably catches a little more flack for the reasons we discussed in terms of him not, uh, he hasn't quite broken through yet mm-hmm. to a more mainstream audience. But I think anytime you have a beloved novel and it gets assigned to a the director, there, there's going to be a backlash. I mean, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it'll be curious to see if he ever manages to get that off the ground. He's actually shot some test footage of uh, Blood Meridian with Scott Glenn. You can find that online. It's out there. Oh,
2: Scott Glenn?
0: Yeah, he's in there. And um, a couple – you know, I bet Scott Hayes is probably in there too. But, um, Most likely. Maybe we'll find a. Uh, I'll find that and, and post it up. It's pretty interesting to watch. But um, I look forward to what's next for this guy. I, I think – I doubted it a little bit prior to seeing this, but after seeing this, I think it's in the cards for him. I mean, eventually it'll happen probably as far as yeah. him making a movie that really kind of clicks.
1: Agree. I agree. This movie did make me think of a good pitch. Uh-oh. You got and a pitch, bitch? I got I got some pitches,
0: bitches. It does it involve necrophilia.
1: Oh, it definitely involves Decker Field. Why? I don't know why. <laughs> then let's hear it. Let's why hear it. wouldn't let's hear it. it? All right, go ahead. <laughs> I don't want to go that far afield. It, okay. It's it's really dumb. I mean, it's not like, like I don't really think it out that much. <laughs> but it, it was around the time that he that he took the woman, the dead woman, back to his house that I started thinking this would be amazing if it turned to a romantic comedy. Now, <laughs> like, because it's already been right. so dark, you know. Yeah. Like this guy is is horrible. There's nothing but spit and snot and shit coming out of him and like everything's just uncomfortable and disgusting but then i thought well what if what if suddenly somebody some some lady walks in the door some society woman she she doesn't see the corpse of course and and she basically puts a puts a proposal to him kind of like a my fair lady thing where it's like i'm going to turn you into a society guy and then you can uh-huh. win back your property and he's like well all right but then a part of that is that he has to pretend to to be in love yes, with this society life. girl and he starts oh. to feel conflicted feelings about his dead girl who's back at the place rotting away. And so, yeah, so the whole thing is like you just have no idea if you're supposed to laugh at any of this. That would be the ideal tone is people oh, like watching it. it like this. Is this a comedy? This can't possibly be funny.
0: <laughs> it's like a Weekend at Ballard's, I guess you would Yeah, it, yeah, right? yeah,
1: kind of, yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah, and, and of course, oh, like the, the, the dead girl wins out in the end. Like he goes back to her and the simple ways yeah. of, of loving a dead girl and everyone in the audience is like it. why the fuck did I pay for this
2: because she's never been anything but faithful yeah. exactly
1: how else can you show your love to a necrophiliac you yeah, know what I mean that's a good point Craig I like your pitch thank I you I watch that thank you Craig, for I the validation
2: I never watch that show
1: that you shouldn't no one should
2: <laughs> well we'll see alright
1: <laughs>
0: Bob, thanks, thanks so me. much. Yeah. Um, we look we look forward to seeing what else you do, as I'm sure there will be more to come. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, guys. You can go visit our website, neverheardpodcast.com, and, and find links to all our various guises on the interwebs. Mm-hmm. Come say hello. Sounds good. All right, guys. Thanks. <laughs>